welcome back to the show. I'm Nick Salfaro, and with me are John and Nathaniel, who are here with me to talk about how the recent pandemic has affected some shifts in media, both in terms of production and consumption. So guys, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves. So I'm John Rodriguez, um, go to Eastern Michigan University, 23 years old, and I'm ready to get this thing started. I'm Nathaniel Hatton. I'm a senior at Eastern Michigan University. I'm also 23 years old. Uh, I've worked in the media space for the entirety of my professional career and um, seeing the pandemic and how it has changed the, the landscape has been quite fascinating to watch. And uh, we want to determine what's going to stick around and what's going to change. And as media professionals, it's all about forecasting that and being kind of on the uh, on the right wavelength, as <laughs> if you will. And it is worth establishing that all three of us are like majors in the digital media sphere at Easter. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to touch on is that uh, streaming services have seen kind of like a real massive surge during the pandemic just because everyone's staying at home. So do you think that with streaming services becoming, you know, more, even you know, more prominent in this about to become post pandemic world? Uh, do you think that some pre-existing forms of media consumption, like you know, the, like movie theaters or traditional TV, might just become irrelevant potentially, at least in terms of narrative content? Um, I think that uh, I I think that uh, like the big reason that theaters, movie theaters, are becoming irrelevant is because of the pandemic more so. Because um, I I know that I used to go to I I would still go to movie theaters to, you know watch a movie that's coming out even though you know i know it's going to come out on netflix eventually but there's something there's a feeling to going to a movie theater you know you can take a date you can you know buy some popcorn get a slushy there's a whole vibe to it like a like a traditional kind of classic movie going experience right exactly yeah I, I, I totally agree I, I think that when you talk about the movie theater experience and and seeing uh forms of media through screenings and whatnot, I think you're buying the experience. And that's what John was talking about, to be able to um, go on a date and, and make a make a, a, a night of it, as, as you will. I think the, the, the bigger thing that we'll have to kind of keep an eye, our, uh, an eye on in a post-pandemic world is the streaming platforms are already growing to begin with before the pandemic and the pandemic kind of exacerbated the, uh, or accelerated the, the growth process for these streaming platforms. I think it's on the movie theaters and and other more traditional forms of media to innovate. I think that the streaming platforms have found a way to work themselves into our lives in a very, very convenient way for us. And that was a a big innovation for just media as a whole. And I think that those forms of medium, like uh, media, like movie theaters and uh, more traditional uh, TV style shows need to have some major innovations in the, in the way that they deliver their content uh, to, to consumers to remain competitive. And I don't, for I, I, in my estimation, I don't think that movie theaters will come back in a, in a really huge way. I'm sure that there's pent up demand for people to go to movie theaters uh, after the pandemic because everybody misses it. I do too, but I don't know that it has the staying power that or the, the strength that it once had. For traditional TV, though, I think uh, it's definitely becoming more relevant with Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime, you know, Disney Plus and all of that, because, mm-hmm. you don't, no one wants to like wait for, you know, to watch something anymore because it's mm-hmm. so instant. We're so used to that instant gratification. Yeah, I definitely think in terms of traditional TV, it's 
I mean, it's already becoming irrelevant, but in the future, it's definitely going to, I don't know how it's going to survive. You would even tell just by like where the conversation on like what some of the most popular narrative shows are like in a season, right? Because like, you know, you think of like Game of Thrones, like the biggest show of its time, HBO Max or HBO show, which is a subscription service. And then you've got, I guess the biggest show right now would maybe be The Mandalorian, but I can't even name a show running on TV right now. Uh, and a lot of the times, like how you said Game of Thrones, like how that's on HBO, um, it, it, like it's on Hulu as well, you know, because I feel like HBO is a big part of Hulu. They're definitely trying to merge. Like, I don't know if maybe HBO is the network that, you know, funds the shows that they can that uh, then like Hulu can pay for and buy. So I guess in that sense, in terms of funding and whatnot, that's keeping them alive. But like in terms of watching it on you know, normal TV, flipping through the channel and finding it. I feel like that that whole style is definitely going out the window. Yeah, can we talk about like how different media entities are diversifying uh, their offerings by starting streaming platforms? Like you see Disney opening Disney Plus and uh, I think... Uh, NBC's opening Peacock or open Peacock. Um, yeah, and then like there's like Paramount Plus as well and stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I think that at least the way that I see it is that I think by the numbers, like the American population is generally aging just because I think the, the people who are born in the baby boomer generation are, are coming of age uh, or getting older. And um, I don't know how many people are going to be able to or want to ad- adjust their watching habits to something of, of a streaming platform. I think that the demand will still be strong enough for like traditional mediums uh, through um, people who are just not used to streaming platforms for normal TV station and programming to like remain around. I just think that it'll, the streaming platforms will continue to grow as the youth, you know, inevitably just picks up on it and it seems to be working quite well for them. But I I always am curious and and always like to keep an eye on uh, new streaming platforms that pop up because everybody's starting to compete again. So, Obviously, what we're, we're talking about, you know, more narrative television. But as evidenced, uh, if you've been watching the news at all in the last year, that the, the news cycle uh, around recent events and mainly COVID-19, there's just a lot. There's just a lot of what they are trying to do in terms of news coverage with it. Because, like, it takes, like, an extreme event like this to have, like, 24-hour news coverage on like seven to eight different news networks. And we've had that pretty constantly for the last year or so with, uh, I think every time you tune on to CNN, you see like the, they're tracking the COVID uh, hospitalization and death stats, both nationally and worldwide. Uh, Do you think like maybe this oversaturation of this topic might've exposed us a little something about like how like this 24 hour news cycle kind of like handles topics? The way that I look at this is um, I was listening to a podcast called the Tony Kornheiser show, which is a sports-based podcast. And they were doing the brackets for March Madness and they have um, all sorts of guests on. And um, Chuck Todd from Meet the Press, I think that is a, a NBC show. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, forgive me if I'm wrong, but he's, he's a major anchor of a, a political talk show on one of the major networks. And he just described the, the 24-hour constant news cycle as something during the Trump administration is something that is just a emotionally exhausting and intellectually um, exhausting. And now that they've shifted to the Biden administration, 
administration, just strictly speaking politically, I guess he's describing it more as less emotionally exhausting, but intellectually exhausting, the same as the Trump administration. But regardless from change to administration, regardless of where we're at in the pandemic, I think the 24 hour news cycle for, um, for me personally is exhausting. I can't. I can't keep you know very close watch on it. Uh, like like you said, those numbers that CNN runs on the right hand side of the screen, it's it's really tough to watch. It just it it, it brings, um, for lack of a better term, too much negative energy into my life, and I need to recognize that living my own life and making sure that my house is in order, for lack of a better term, um, personally is is uh, important to me being able to directly affect some of these issues that we're facing as a as a nation by just being the best version of myself. So I think the 24 hour news cycle is not going to stop. I I hope it would just for people's sanity, but uh, you know, I I think it's really with, it's, it's within the individual's hands and how they're going to interpret that news and how that's going to affect them personally. On the other hand though, with such a, uh, to use an unfortunate turn of phrase, such a virulent or virulent problem as COVID-19. In a way, don't you think that the 24-hour news cycle is kind of necessary just to make sure people are always kind of like up to date and informed on, you know, any changes that might be happening? Because like this, this affected everyone, everywhere. That's that's a very, very fair um, counterpoint. I think the, the flow of information, especially in such a topic that affects everybody, as you had mentioned, is, is crucial. And aside from COVID-19, I find it exhausting. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that the flow of information about the pandemic is is really important to keep up. And like I said, I don't foresee the 24-hour news cycle ending. I just don't. Um, I think it's just become too too much a part of <laughs> who we are as a nation right now. And it's terrible. But um, I do find it very important that the information about the coronavirus pandemic uh, continues to be at the forefront of, of importance until we're in a better spot. So I, th- I, I think that I, I totally agree. I think that um, it's not healthy to have 24 seven, you know, of just telling us how many people are dying and everything. Cause, and even though that, you know, that is news and that's how it is. I feel like with the Trump administration, when they were in there, like everything became very, um, you know, I mean, it's always been, you know, whether it's Fox or CNN, they've always had a political agenda. And so I feel like with the coronavirus, it's turned into something, um, at least not maybe not as much now, but uh, back when Trump was in office, it became it kind of started to become like they were using it as a, you know, they weren't necessarily trying to report on it based on like scientific fact or facts or statistics. Uh, They were kind of using it as as a way to make the the president at the time look bad. I don't know. I feel like there's just a feud between Fox and CNN in terms of the news that they report. So it's just kind of like you don't really know what to trust because they they always have an agenda to what they're doing. So I think it's important to, you know, maybe watch both, you know, find another news outlet, go on to, you know, look at Google News, have them both on your when you pull up Google or something, have both Fox News and CNN reporting something because you can see like for a lot of them, the deaths in California from covid were the same as the ones in Florida. But in Florida, people didn't take the wearing the mask restrictions nearly as much, you know, nearly as seriously as the people in California. But the deaths kind of were still the same. So it's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't think I I mean I definitely believe that, you know, COVID is not good. And I'm happy that we have a vaccine now and everything. But I think it was definitely politicized a lot. Can we, can we talk about, I, I, I find that topic extremely important to touch on about the development of, uh, of, of opinion based 
news reporting. I feel like the uh, the anchors for these major networks have become no longer people of relaying information, but rather personalities in their own right and have an audience that um, is undeniably loyal to them. And I think that uh, I, I just I just read like a few days ago that Tucker Carlson from Fox News is becoming or like is getting a lot more um, uh, or just more content made with him uh, for more of his takes on things. I can't remember what uh, specifically Fox is going to be developing with him, but they're um, expanding his already large uh, you know, time on the platform and they're making him like their front page personality that the, the brand is going to be represented by. And I, I feel like the same could be said for like Chris Cuomo of CNN. Um, there's, geez, who, who else is there? Like Don Lemon from CNN. Um, there, there's there's plenty of personalities that have just um, blown up so big in this last four or five years of political turmoil that uh, people have become extremely loyal. And it's no longer objective-based reporting, but rather you expect their personality on, on, on the show segments rather than pure fact-based reporting and you know who's to say what's what's better and what's you know I'm, I'm not here to say you know one's better than the other but i do want to make note of that pretty um obvious change uh, as far as the major networks go I, I think i think that's huge i mean like tucker carlson i i've seen him on you know who dave portnoy is the owner of barstool sports like he had he had uh, Tucker Carlson on his on his show, his podcast or whatever. When you know a few years ago, you wouldn't really expect to see a news anchor for CNN or Fox News be on another show, you know, as a personality. So it's definitely that's that's huge because even when I open up Google, I don't I don't know because I don't know why, but when on my phone when I go to my Google app, I get I see all my news and every day, like the person from Fox News that I see on there is Tucker Carlson. So you can tell that he's being promoted so much that, yeah, it's just like, it's so opinion based because they don't have to, like, there's not a law that requires them to, you know, state the facts. They're, they're stating their facts, but in their own way. You know what I mean? It's very opinion based. And I, I guess just to may play devil's advocate, like, if nothing else, this kind of more opinion based more uh personality driven it is compelling it's really popular that's why stuff like you know youtube vlogs and let's players and stuff like that are as popular as they are is because people like forming like a parasocial relationship with like a personality that they're being shown and while it may not be going more towards objective truth that there is some value in relating and forming this trust with the people who are reporting to you. Though, personally, I do agree that we want to try and reach some form of more objective truth when it comes to, you know, our news reporting because this is how misinformation happens. I was um I was in a class actually last night talking to um the um program director for WAMU the uh, jazz radio station uh, ran out of Ford Hall on Eastern's campus and she was talking about the fairness doctrine which was a piece of legislation adopted by the uh, FCC for many years and and I guess was uh, repealed during the Reagan administration and what what that doctrine was basically um, imposing on on media outlets especially uh, or a major uh, media companies is that when you're presenting 
controversial material. It requires you to represent the other side, even, you know, even, in, you know, it could be very small and, and just like some key bullet points, but it, it had to be represented this um, during the Reagan administration that being taken away gave rise in her opinion to talk show personalities and, and TV anchors becoming personalities rather than objective reporters, which I found extremely interesting. And I guess it's being revisited as a, something of importance. I think that Nick, what you were saying about getting back to objective-based reporting is um, definitely within our best interest as far as uh, stopping misinformation. Mm-hmm. And I guess it should maybe re- pertain to like the devil's advocate kind of role, like the Fox News kind of like middle of the day format where you have like the four or five people like on the couch kind of all just talking with each other there's nothing inherently wrong with that format but when you have like each host being like of a very similar political mindset and very similar views it becomes less of like a debate and more of just like an echo chamber you know that's that's a fair point you know, and, and, and the same thing can be said about CNN. Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can visualize those uh, four, four Fox anchors on the couch. I think that uh, um, the, the CNN panels that I've I've, I've watched uh, have got the same echo chamber qualities going on. So, yeah, uh, there's there's a few different like solutions to the problem in my eyes, but it, it is definitely something to take note of that we're moving away from objective based reporting and just looking at personalities. <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely playing to their audience because they they know who's watching and they know who's not. So they might as well just you know reaffirm what people watching already want to believe. Yeah, it's it's really adding to the the division, which is just no good in my eyes. But I agree. That's what it is right now. Uh, thank you two for coming on. Uh, when we come back after the break, we'll be talking about uh, big tech and the dangers of monopolization in our modern world. Be right back. Thank you. 